You're listening to the Underscore Transformation Podcast, your practical guide to business transformation. Welcome to the Underscore Transformation Podcast. My name's Jason West. And I'm Joe Ailes. And together we're the founders of Underscore. This week we're talking about building your support model. So if your transformation doesn't include replacing or significantly updating technology, you can probably skip past this section. Well, you can if you're completely satisfied with how your current system works and you don't need to make any changes and you probably don't need to make any changes in the future. But if you think you may, uh, then it's probably worth having a listen uh, to the rest of this podcast. So establishing a robust technology support model is something that gets overlooked in a surprising number of transformation programs in the heat of program delivery attention naturally focuses on managing the latest integration risk the design issues or you know particularly mm. challenging stakeholders and yet your ability to deliver the business benefits promised by your business case rests on how effectively you construct your support model so how can a support model really be that important to the success of your program? Well, it's the, um, it, is, it is really important. It's the, uh, it's the piece of the jigsaw that's going to create sustainability among uh, of the change. Yeah. Um, an awful lot of, and we talked about this last time in terms of the resort in the last episode, the resources needed to execute the project well. Uh, all, that res- all that capability and all that knowledge will will walk out of the door possibly at the end of a at the end of a warranty phase which typically is month one month two um, post post go live um of of your technology and if you don't have the right team to um configure change um adjust uh, optimize um those uh, design decisions or that configure the configuration of a technology you're going to struggle. How much change is there realistically going to be, do you think, post-go-live? Post post-go-live? Yeah. <laughs> Day one, you're making changes. <laughs> um, you know, in hindsight, is a wonderful thing, but you make this, you make a set of design decisions at the very beginning of a, of, of a project on a technology platform that you don't really understand. Um and you probably don't. You probably won't really understand the impact of the design decisions on that particular technology until you've gone live. In some yeah. cases, sometimes you do find out through your if you've got really effective testing. And this is again one of the key episodes <laughs> in, in in this in in our in our series too, which is testing, testing, testing. Um, if you if if you've not been able to identify um, certain sort of nuances or, or suboptimal design decisions um, in in testing you will surely find them out in operation Um, and then if you don't have the right team structure in place well it's both it's two things from a number of things but two things the capability of the team to be able to actually diagnose understand the issue and really come up with a set set of uh, of options that they can configure themselves or potentially outsource to a a application management um, support uh, organization yeah to, to configure against the requirements that that you've specified as your support from, from that comes from the internal team um, so that's one point and the second point is actually the change control you know having effective change control mechanisms in place that are not going to unwind an awful lot of the decisions that you've made during the design for good reasons because you're making a knee-jerk reaction about something that doesn't happen. So 
support model at the very beginning of the project is key because you, 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 these the individuals that are going to support the product need to be involved in the design decisions from the very outset. Yes. Well, again, we've seen it. We've seen it. We've had examples before where the pro, the the support model team pick up something, pick up a, a beast of a bit of technology that I've now got to manage, and um, um, the business starts to experience what this uh, beast is like in 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 the real world and asks key questions. Why have we designed it that way? Yeah. Um, and the support team don't know because they weren't involved in the original design decisions. They've just got landed with supporting it. Yes. Uh, yeah. And naturally, the business asks these difficult questions post go live, and the support team will typically go, hmm, that's a good point. Maybe we'll change it. Yes, yeah. And what they're doing, they're changing a fundamental design decision that's been agreed in principle at the very, very beginning of the project. That's to the detriment of the business case that was set out when they went, when the uh, the decision to transform was made. So um need to think about support model from day one. Absolutely. Because, yeah, and we, we've talked about, you know, sort of the product meeting reality and the mm. business demanding changes to be made, and and some of those with good reason. Um, but the other thing, unless you're you're you know incredibly lucky, or you've planned it this way, um, you, you're not going to be going live with the full set of functionality of your brand new ERP or HCM system on day one. Mm. It's so unusual for that to happen because these are big, complex bits of technology. So day one, you're going to have a roadmap. Mm. There is functionality that you couldn't switch on on day one because you didn't have the resource, or maybe you need to do, you know, roll it out in a few phases. Yeah. Um, there's often good reasons for that. Yeah, sometimes it's too much of a change for to hit the business all at once. Yeah, you know? so it's 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 normal to to have different phases of different phases of, of a program. Yeah. And the, the, there's a, a difference between a follow-on phase where you've got a product that's live with users, with mm. data, with changes happening on a daily basis with people transacting in the system versus your very first fresh greenfield build mm. of, of the phase one. So regardless, the support team's involved in that. Mm. But, you know, the reality being that, you know, you could have a two-year, a three-year roadmap to, yeah. to roll out you know the all the different functionality to all the geographies to all the yeah. business units and unless you've got a huge program budget and you can afford to have a program team in place for 2 3 years it's actually a support team that are going to be the people that will do the work mm. and and make the changes happen so you know that that demand from the roadmap is one aspect. Uh, you've got those business as usual changes, and all all this time they're having to support this product in production. Uh, but you've also got the fact that you know, assuming that you, you've selected a cloud product, mm. it's going to update. It's going to yeah. update two, two, three, four times a year, mm. and all those changes need to be understood. You've got to do regression testing. You've got to make sure that. You know, you're not relying on some functionality that's about to get retired mm. or that your integrations keep working. Mm. So, you know, there, there's constant work to be done. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that organizations 
often don't quite understand until mm. they've gone live uh, with these new software as a service products is you you've just bought into this strategy of continuous improvement that your core systems will just update mm. on, on a regular basis whether you want them to or not mm. so you you need to be ready to mm. analyze that 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 change to 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 make the most of it to adopt it to make sure it doesn't damage anything in your mm. business so because yeah, it's very different to the old world of yeah. on prem isn't it where um upgrades and were painful but took place in a controlled way at the point where the organization's the organization was ready to do yes. that upgrade. And very often organizations just decided to not upgrade to the latest version of, of the Oracle ERP because oh, it's too painful. And and they ended up finding themselves two or three versions behind yes. the, the the current version. You know, cloud, the work days of this world don't let you do that. So you, you have to be ready. You yeah. have to have the, the the skills internally to to have foresight about what's coming down the line. Um, they need to work with the process owners to help the process owners drive innovation through the technology. Yeah, because right? it, it's the support model is there as the te- they're the technical experts of the product. They they they're there to make sure that the product doesn't go down. The product is sustainable, is robust. Um, that that's they're the gatekeepers of the. Of, of the system the process owners are the ones that are driving innovation through their function yeah and the two of them should work hand in hand in many many of the projects that we've um sort of come across um when we typically ask the question of 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 those program directors and project sponsors so you know you're, you're in mid-flight of a, a system implementation so where are you with your um support model um and Many times they've no, they've not even thought about it. No, no, um, absolutely. Well, you're you're in, you're running a, a, a real risk here. Um, a because you don't understand what you need and you haven't factored that in. Is it even in your business case? That's the that's one of the things that yes, is often yeah. excluded from the business case. There's this idea that because it's cloud, it doesn't need support. Yes, you know, it's like the Facebook. We don't. Nobody supports Facebook. Nobody supports LinkedIn. Yeah. Well, LinkedIn have got a massive team themselves <laughs> yeah. developing the product, and so have Facebook. Um, so there's this idea that the, the products are self-maintained. They update themselves every six months. Why would I? I don't need anybody here supporting it. So it's, it's so, so wrong. So there is this sort of perception that, oh, these things are self-maintained and we need minimal teams. But actually, in many cases, your support team will increase as a result of you implementing technology. Mm-hmm. Because especially if you're going from a, a legacy to a new cloud-based system with rich in functionality in terms of reporting, security, different modules, mm. or mobile-enabled and all these great things that will transform your business, no question about it. Uh, you're going to that from something that's probably a, a structured database uh, on, on-prem. Yeah, with hasn't limited changed fun- in the past 10 years. <laughs> with limited functionality. That hasn't changed in the past 10 years is a data repository at best for, for some organizations. That type of system requires minimal support. Mm. Right. So um, when you're going into a full-fledged sort of um, human capital management system or finance, finance management system with an array of functionality, if you don't put a support model in place to, to effectively support all of that uh, going forward. 
Hopefully that describes why this is important yeah, to, yes. to, to think about this now and uh, the, the fact that, you know, you, you really do need to, to put this front of mind as you're uh, getting started with your implementation. But how, how do you actually go about building the, that technical capability in-house? What are the different ways that we can go about that? Mm. First and foremost, you have to hire a team. You have to build it. Yeah. Um, so... And and the best time to do it is right up front. Yes. You have to do it at the start of the program. Um, we've been we've been in situ we've seen situations where organisations don't think about support model where until way for, way down the line. Yeah. And, and it's the wrong place to think about. It. Yeah. yeah. Normally, just before they're about to go, to live, go live, and they suddenly yeah. go, oh crikey, yeah. who's going to support this? Somebody thing? needs to, to to be supporting this post post go live. It's the wrong thing to do. You have to involve. Um, those individuals that are ultimately going to support the product at the beginning of your design. Um, so they need to be um, so high at the team at the same time as the project team. Um, st start perhaps with, if you don't have a support team in place, start with the person that's ultimately going to be accountable for supporting you, the, yeah. the manager, the head of. Yes. Uh, bring that person on board. Um, if you then start, need to start thinking of, of build, of, of, additional resources that are going to support different functional areas of the system, bring them on board too at that point. They're going to involve them in the design workshops so yes. that they understand the rationale for uh, decisions that have been made and they ultimately then understand why the system has been configured in a way in which the system has been configured. Um, so that's really important to sort of give them the context. Yes. The second part is involve them in... The configuration of the product. Yeah. Um, this not, is a, not all system integrators like this. Yeah, do this, they? they don't. They don't, and uh, and they don't. They don't like it because um, for good reasons, actually, because mm. they they fear that um, they lose control of the configuration because ultimately they're accountable for delivering the quality product. Yeah, and if they're they're individual, if they fear that there are individuals in in on a client side that are meddling in with in configuration, they're clearly going to get nervous about it. Yes. Um, so you have to establish um, that partnership model during the contract negotiations. Yeah, so during scoping. During scoping, yeah. You have to to agree up front what the, what's the relationship going to, to look like and how it's, go it's going to function when you're in implementation so that there are no surprises. Yeah, and it's likely you're going to have to agree to some prerequisites around the type of the, the individuals that will have access. Mm. So they will need to have gone through a certain amount of training on, yeah. on the product, for example, yeah. or have some level of certification if that's available yeah. for, for, for the, the technology you're implementing. Yeah. And it, it might be there, obviously... Um, you know, cloud technology um, is developed through various iterations and various prototypes. Um, and maybe it's not prototype one, maybe it's prototype two that they get involved with. Because mm. um, clearly prototype one is 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 a black box until it's uh, presented back to, to the client first time round. Um, but maybe through the various iterations, the support team can get plugged into some of the configuration and actually ex execute some of it under the control um, of uh, the partner providing they've got the skills to do it. Yes, um, yeah. Uh, or maybe even do it in an implementation tenant, test it, get the the, the, the partner, the, the systems integrator or the, the implementation partner to QA it, validate it before it's moved into production. There's, yeah. Into, not production, into the implementation tenant. Um, but if you involve, if those individuals are, 
uh, are engaged in the configuration of the product really early on, come go live, they've got the, the skills they need to make those uh, configuration changes day one. Yes. Yeah. And and everyone there's no there there isn't one single product, one single project that goes live where everything is perfect. Yeah. Um within the first sort of two to three weeks, issues will start to appear um where some of the design decisions might need to be reviewed. Um and if you've got the team in place able to execute some of those changes, the 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 transformation is going to be gain traction a lot sooner. Yeah, otherwise and, do. and it's critical to realizing the investment that you've made in this new technology. You you need to be able to change it and develop yeah. it over time. So now I know you are desperate to talk about structure. <laughs> <laughs> I am desperate to talk about structure. Yes. So let's let's just step through this one okay. in a structured way. In a structured way. Yeah. So we'll talk about kind of four elements of of a support model. So we'll talk about support. We'll talk about development, design, and control. Mm. So if we start off uh, on the support side, what are the kind of the bare bones that you need mm. to, to support? And what are the sorts of activities um, that, uh, that, that your support team will be doing mm. when it comes to support? Yeah, so when you're implementing um, a structure, you, you need to think of um, what type of support is need, needed for different stakeholders, for instance. So mm -hmm. um, typically we, we tend to, to see um, a tiered approach to a support model. Yeah. So um, a tier one is uh, almost a, an inquiry type of service where the users are, are struggling with, with a particular piece of, um, of the process or, or the technology um, and pick up the phone and talk to somebody. So yeah. that tends to be uh, your first line of support. So these are um, a bunch of super users um, that might sometimes sit in a shared services organization mm -hmm. um, as the, in a contact center. They obviously need to become experts in a system to be able to guide the user through uh, the process or help them troubleshoot why some things are not um, go, um, working according to plan yeah. from an end user perspective. Yes. So that's your um, typical sort of tier one. Um, if the problem is uh, more related to configuration mm -hmm. um, or a system issue, that's a, a tier two model. Um, and this is a tier, the tier two is where you'd see uh, in-house, um, where, where we would recommend having in-house capability to troubleshoot and diagnose some of those configuration issues. Yeah, and, and fix? With and fixing? fix, absolutely, okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, um, and fix. And if you've involved those individuals way up front in the project, they're going to have the skills and capability to do that. Yeah. Um, so it might be a business process issue, it might be a reporting issue, a security issue that they can can quickly diagnose and understand what the fix might be. Yeah. You're listening to the Underscore Transformation Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Underscore, the transformation capability specialists. To find out more, visit underscore-group.com. Um, and then there's the, uh, the tier three, which is, okay, these are the things that are slightly more complex. It might be uh, I've got an issue with a, an integration, for instance, or I've got an issue with a configuration within the system that I can't address myself. Yeah. My support model team doesn't have the capability to do so. Yeah. Um, in which case, absolutely have a third-party uh, AMS or applicant, uh, application management support uh, structure um, that gives you that um, additional sort of capability and systems expertise 
um, that will configure um, that particular change for you. Yes. Um, so so that's how you'd um, typically uh, build a model. Yeah. What you don't do is when we've seen some cases in the past where everything is done is 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 outsourced to uh, an application an AMS an applicant uh, application management system. Yeah, because the team without... doesn't have the capability. Exactly. So you have a tier one, which then immediately jumps to tier three. Tier three, and uh, and what it means is you spend an awful lot of time and cash, frankly, triaging issues that don't should be easily resolved. Yeah. Um, and and that's what not that's not what the um, AMS uh, services there to deliver. The AMS there is services purpose is to give enhanced system configuration capability to the client. Yes, um, yeah. In in the short term, from a commercial perspective, the AMS provider might go, "Great, this is yeah. a massive contract. We're getting hundreds of thousands a year, and yeah. I'm just triaging, triaging issues. Know, issues that really the client should be answering." But actually, what tends to happen is the relationship breaks down because you know mm. the client gets upset. They're spending hundreds of thousands a year, and they're not really seeing the yeah. value for it. So it's a, a bit of a short term view. Mm. Um, if, if you imagine that kind of pyramid of tier one, tier mm. two, tier three, you, you, ideally you want to be going live with as a thicker band of tier two in your your triangle as possible, mm. and you want to see that growing over time, and you want to see your tier three shrinking over time. Mm. Uh, that's kind of the the kind of the key aim there. Yeah. You know, really you try and resolve as much as you can in-house as possible. Uh, yeah. And as your team get up to speed, they're going to be more capable and you'll be able mm. to achieve that more and more. Yeah, that's right. And um, and, and use Tier 3 in the right way. So yeah. be, when you're developing your support contract for for AMS, you've, you've really got to think through, okay, what, what are the components or what are the elements of service I want? And be specific, be clear about that. So you... Yeah, integration support, troubleshooting integrations, because there's something quite sort of specific um, with some of the technologies that unless the organization's enormous where you've got hundreds of integrations, then build capability in-house to do that yourself. Yeah. But if you've got a handful of integrations, which in many cases, most programs, that's where you end up with, having that integration expertise in, in your support model might not be appropriate yeah um so yeah that's and that's important the other another area another key element to include in in ams is um impact assessment of future changes yes you know the the, the product these products tend to change every three to six months yeah um and um the these organizations have got a better understanding i guess of of the impact of that change on a configuration of of the client's um, system than sometimes the clients do. So yes, yeah. getting that that um, built into the support model is important. Yeah, and they, they get early sight of the releases and training yeah. from the vendors yeah, exactly, and all that yeah. sort of stuff. It's, it's really valuable Makes, getting yeah. their input, absolutely. Yeah. So that's kind of the support side, and that, that's kind of that's table stakes really. Yeah. That, that, that's just supporting the steady state with nothing changing but as you've already alluded yeah. to the product updates mm. um, and we've already talked about all the different sources of demand that are going to come mm. in to make changes to the system 
I think a tiered model for development is is a good way of thinking about yeah. uh, your 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 development side as well. So, what, what are is it three tiers? Is it the same as on the support side or? Um, yeah, pro- probably because um, you've got um, you, it's based on the complexity of change, isn't it? Mm. Um, so you want to um, to have maybe simple simple changes done by. Um, um, Super super user community. Oh, you know, I, I want to change someone's security role, or I want to create a new report, or mm. um, some things there. There simple can be done by a tier one development team. Things they're slightly more complicated. They may be linked to roadmap items. The process owner is starting to have conversations with the support team around how do I enhance the capabilities of the product? So how do I adding new processes? New, new processes, new features. Yeah, um, that probably requires a uh, a bit a bit more of a project approach to it, and mm-hmm. more around sort of release management because you've got comms, you've got training, you've got all of these things to think about as you're releasing um, new features. So that's probably a, a tier two, still using the internal team, uh, and then you've got um, a tier th- a, a tier three, which is right. There's a new module that we yeah. want to implement. Yeah, yeah. Or the change is going to ripple through our entire system, system architecture. architecture. Yeah. So you know, the, the, we are going to now have to contract maybe a, a systems integrator or a partner or leverage the AMS contract that we've got, but in a different way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it depends on a, on a complexity of changes. I think you should you should structure your development um, accordingly. And think through, don't just think through about how you deploy change in in and system change in across your 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 business as well. Yeah. Um, some th- fixes in tier one, do them quickly, no problem. Tier two, you really need to think about in terms of how do you communicate, how do you engage the organization in 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 the change that you're about to impose on it. And tier three, gosh, it's a proper project. Yeah, you need a project manager. Project you, manager. You need to manage the change. Yeah. yeah. It might be, you know. Um, might might even have to put in a, a design authority or a project board or a, an exec steer co around it. Yeah. Um, so you, yeah, the, so you think through there's tiered support on running the running the show, and then tiered support on development as well. Yeah, absolutely. So the we, we've got our our development, but that that's the technical development side. Mm. There needs to be design that mm. that, that happens. So. We've we've talked about process owners. We've talked about design authority, and and this is really where that enduring capability mm. around design comes in. I think in in the previous world mm. of on prem, uh, there's so much technical complexity to these project uh, products. You know, you've got to think about hardware and mm. uh, servers and and network cables and routers, <laughs> and then you've got to think about databases and middleware and Mm. you know before you even get to the software you've got this massive stack of Mm. technology so in the past a lot of that design capability sat in the it function Mm. because it was really deep technical design with the world shifting to cloud Mm. the amount of technical design is actually significantly smaller um the technical footprint of these products is so much smaller you know a Mm. tenth of Mm. of a cloud product so there's an interesting conversation to be had Mm. about where does design best sit now because 
the technical limitations. You don't have to think about databases and hardware and you know sort of yeah. all that sort of stuff. You you know there there's that decision really about how where on the continuum of taking a business requirement, turning it into a functional requirement, turning it into a technical requirement, and then designing something. Mm. You know, in the in the past that it was very much sat in that technical box. Mm. Now I think there's there's a real argument to say, well, that design capability should shift more into the functional space. Mm. Um, but that that's that's an area we see oh. some challenge. Yes, um, um, pros and cons for both, right? Yeah. Um, what's what's interesting is uh, in in the in the IT world, these these functions have been delivering this for years they've got so much expertise and know-how yeah um in you know configuration they've got they've got all the good habits good configuration control good documentation good test management good release management they've been doing this for years you've now put this responsibility of of not, not so much of, of the doing, but the, the the thought process around configuration is the control management and the control in yeah. in the hands of an individual that doesn't have that expertise, doesn't have that background. Yes. Um, so that's it, it's 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 really difficult to sort of um, there's again there's pros and cons for for um, for mo- for keeping um, the model in IT or not keeping the model in IT and and releasing it to to the functions yeah but there's um yeah and and it's just a a risk factor really so yeah if you have it in a function um the it function should impose the controls it uses today to manage any form of configuration change any form of configuration change or or change control and using the processes that organization uses so itil for instance yeah and imposing that process onto the function, um, so yeah, it's uh, um, and making sure that the right things, the good practices that are that developed through ITIL in uh, in all these years mm. are 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 embedded in a support model of uh, uh, of that technology that's yeah. been deployed. It's interesting because what what you're talking about there is control. Mm. It's all the control and governance processes around it, and I think. Uh, you know, I think there's 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 good argument that that potentially that yeah. that rests in IT, yeah, because they've got the experience, they've got the track record, they've got the, the accreditations uh, yeah. that have been built up over years, as you say. But uh, I think design is separate to that. Um, so the design thinking piece around um, what is the right solution design here. Mm. Um, not talking about how it gets released out into production. Yeah. This is more about, okay, I've understood the business requirements. Um, I now need to design solutions in the system and in process to deliver the outcomes that the business mm. needs. Because what, what we've seen in the past with with some of these kind of in on-premise models mm. is you get into this difficult relationship between a function and the IT organization where it becomes a transactional relationship which is this kind of you know you give me your requirements and I'll come up with a technical solution and that the the two worlds don't really kind of translate particularly well so where it's worked is it's far more a co-design 
with yeah. IT and the function working together. Um, Absolutely. What what happened in some organisations is they carved that out and they said, okay, we're now going to create systems accountants or HRAS mm. teams, and they're going to report into the function rather mm. than reports into the IT, uh, IT organisation. Um, there is no right or wrong answer nah. with this, but it's a conversation you need to have now. Yes, up front, right know, at the beginning. And be really mindful of the the reasons why the support model is the way it is today. Yeah. Um, and you're talking about moving accountability potentially at the executive level. Mm. So there's a good chance you could get flattened yes. <laughs> as, as somebody sat within one of those organisations yeah. if you don't approach it in the right way. So yeah. be really mindful of the politics and the, the power dynamics um, and, and tread very, very mm. carefully as you work through designing this operating or mm. this support model and it need you need to uh, address this as part of your wider target operating model design mm. and you've got to involve the it function you need Ooh. senior people from the it function involved in those workshops no, no question because um ultimately your your system that you're implementing won't work in isolation yeah so it'll have to be plugged into other enterprise-wide systems. Yeah. If, if the transformation that you're trying to deliver, it's rare that any sort of system implementation will will operate as a standalone system because you yeah. just won't achieve the transformational objectives that you're setting out to achieve. So the IT function is vital. Is in 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 the, their involvement is vital in the project throughout. Yes. Um, what we can again horses for courses, because um, if if it's a pure standalone um, system implementation or transformation in in a function, yeah, some some of that capability could well sit in in a function governed by IT processes and so on, um, with the design thinking happening at a functional level. What becomes yeah. really interesting is it where you, where you implement a multifunctional transformation so if you're implementing an enterprise-wide system that has um you know the technology spans beyond just one function so you yeah. might have a system implementation a transformation around business services for instance business services transformation where uh, i'm transforming finance procurement hr at the same time and yeah. implementing an enterprise-wide system that covers all functional areas the 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 support model for for that type of um, system is 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 really complicated and require will require huge amounts of thought because all of a sudden you've got three functions setting out what they wish to do, what's their roadmap, and you've got an, I, an IS function or some something in the in a center that's trying to manage all of that demand with the finite resources it has. Yes. Um, because one of the key things we stress um, is the need for process owners to drive innovation through business processes or the technology that we're implementing. Mm. So the process owners need to take accountability. And you're absolutely right, because years gone by, it would have been the IT function approaching the 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 the, the, the operations, describing to the operations the, the, the value you can unlock from the system is X, but you're not leveraging it. Yes. Yeah. Right? So it's, you know, how can we get more value from this ERP that we've implemented five years ago? Um, we need to switch it, turn it on its head. We need to say, right, the, the, the IT function are delivering system solutions against requirements from, from the function, from the process owners. So when you have a multifunctional 
system, really need to start thinking about, okay, how are we going to control, not not, not control, but how are we going to gatekeep what the, the requirements, the demand, how are we going to manage all of that? Um, and who's going to provide your tier one support in yeah. that case? Yes. So yeah. I've got a question, I've got a query with, with my expenses or my purchasing or my account. Um, who do I contact? I've got a query with my personal information. It all sits in the same system. Mm. Who do I speak to? So all of a sudden, do I speak to finance for, for troubleshooting or do I speak to HR for troubleshooting? Do I speak to a, a central team? So think through if it's a multifunctional system implementation, think through what's that support going to look like for the end user. Yeah. So hopefully we've um, put forward an argument that failing to put enough time and resource into designing this kind of future support model is going to add quite a significant amount of risk into you delivering mm. the, the transformation that you, you, you seek. So if you don't have the skills in-house or, or the capacity in-house to, to actually design and implement an effective support model, um, then, you know, please contact us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's something we are deeply passionate about. Yeah. Um, and it's something that, you, you know, we'd be more than happy to, to, to help with. But it, it's really critical to, to your ongoing success. So if for no other reason, hopefully this is um, just really scratched the surface, to be honest, of what is a really big topic. But um, it's something that's well worth mm. your time and attention because it will it will pay dividends uh, as you as you kind of roll into into operations uh, to have that really effective support model. So that was uh, episode two. Uh, next week, we're uh, looking at how you build engagement through your transformation. So complete change of pace. We're looking at uh, change management and, and how you get the business uh, involved in delivering your transformation. To download a copy of the Build or Scoping Transformation Checklist, please visit underscore-group.com and click on White Papers under the Insights section of the website. 